Welcome back to the Autoblog Podcast. I'm Greg Migliori. We have an awesome show for you. This is Podcast 810, over 800 of these podcasts. So we're going to lead off with What Would You Drive in 1995? It was a fun listicle we did uh, earlier uh, last month, uh, end of last month. And check it out. If you're from the 90s, if you remember the 90s, if you're sort of, uh, you know, of a certain age, I think a lot of these cars are going to resonate with you. We'll dive into some news. Uh, big news in the last week or so about uh, the Tesla Cybertruck, the end of the line for the Jeep Renegade, uh, and it's the beginning of the story for the Fiat 500e in America, as well as some other EV news, specifically out of Honda. We'll talk about what we've been driving, including the Toyota BZ4X, man, that's a mouthful, the Kia EV9, and the Audi SQ5. So with that, I will bring in what I believe is a fellow geriatric millennial, that is senior <laughs> editor for all things electric and green, John Snyder. What's up, dude? How's it going? Yes, like 1995 is, is just when I was, you know, getting ready to get my license. And uh, so, yeah, that, that 1995 post sort of rings true. Um, yeah, geriatric millennial. True, true. Yeah, it's, I think it's we're technically classified without giving away too much personal information as millennials by the census or whoever does it. I saw a thing that, um, it goes farther back than you think. It's like literally like 78 or 79 for a birth year. And then it goes all the way forward, farther than you would expect. It's a fairly big generation, if you will. But then culturally, it seems like, you know, people sort of in their late 30s to early 40s definitely are more like Gen X, you know? Yeah, so, I've, I've seen know. the argument that if you have, um, you know, if you're in this sort of between stage and you have an older sibling that's, you know, definitely gen x then you are considered gen x as well i don't really fully identify with either i yeah. you know, have the, have the best of both worlds yeah <laughs> you know what we are we're sort of like the silent generation that's that group after like before the baby boomers but after uh the greatest generation mm -hmm. uh we're like that group of people that was born in like the late 30s early 40s and most of the time people either think they're boomers or they're you know the greatest generation they don't realize like oh you were born in like 1939 or something you know so <laughs> yeah. well i know my way around a computer and an electric typewriter i'll just say that i learned to type out a typewriter but i will say this we've both worked for aol and now yahoo so i think that really yeah. is a lot of different punch <laughs> cards when it comes to this stuff so for sure yeah, man. In 1995, I technically did not have my license, but I was you I know, kind of right on the precipice of it. Um, and this list is pretty cool. I think the staff had a lot of fun pulling it together. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're listening to this on the podcast, you got to check it out. Uh, I think it'll resonate with a lot of a lot of you guys as well. Uh, what did you go with? I went with the Toyota MR2. Yeah. Um, That's a good choice. It's the second second gen uh of the mr2 here um and uh you know I, I was looking at some of the other ones you know my my first car was a 94 blazer and i believe they yeah. switched that to the more rounded body style for 95 um which i don't know and, and that blazer was a hand-me-down from my gen x sister so thanks liz um go. but uh and the subaru svx was outside of the price range um I did like uh, Jeremy's uh, Yukon pick because that is a lot like my S10 Blazer that I had. Um, mine was a four-door. Um, 
but yeah, I, I don't know. MR MR two is one that I always, you know, whenever I see one, I just get I get pumped. Um just really neat uh sort of budget mid engine car. And um yeah, the that price point, the um the twenty four thousand dollars, which is the inflation adjusted equivalent of today's average new car price. Um that is just enough to get the uh, manual transmission with the um, fixed roof, so that's what I would get anyway. Um, I don't need the I don't need to be able to take the tops off. Um, I'm I don't like the sun. I'm not a convertible guy, um, so yeah, it was perfect. Um, yeah, but there's a there's a lot of like really fun choices from that year, but but. Go ahead and talk about yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Just so, you know, listeners, so you know, the, the whole premise here was to give sort of like back to the future, I guess not, you know, not 1980s, but like car buying advice of what we would have driven in the 90s using, again, the inflation adjusted, uh, you know, pricing. Uh, and I, some of this is probably realistic. Some of it isn't. I don't know at my current stage of life if I would have driven a 95 Impala SS. Uh, I'd like to think I would have, but that's what I picked. And it came in uh, right in that price range. I was actually a little surprised. I, um, you know, I think it's a then and now. I frankly wouldn't mind owning one of these now. You know, you get that yeah. big Corvette V8 engine. They really, I think, dressed up the cop car, taxi car, Caprice, made it something kind of cool. Uh, I loved what they did with the wheels, the paint colors, some of the police package um you know options that made it more of like a muscle sedan uh i just this car really resonated with me and the starting price was uh 22910 according to this amazing document that you keep sharing uh about pricing whenever we do one of these lists so that's what i would have done and that was my pick um there, this and a lot of cars are starting to go up in price you know it's it's really become like a sort of a Fairly modern yet technically classic vintage uh, collectible. So, I mean, I would have. It, it it's seems... such a Greg Migliori car to pick. Yeah, too. Like, I know, I, I, I know. You, you've got your type for sure. Yeah, I like this car. It's. Uh, <laughs> I have a neighbor who's doing something with a Caprice, and he seems to be kind of making it into an Impala. Hey, that's cool. I have another neighbor, other end of the street, that has an MR2. It's. I think it's yellow. And every nice. now and then I'll see that coming out of the garage. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, you should drive that more. Another guy actually at the end of the street has a, a 240. Uh, what are the old Nissans? Oh, nice. Like, yeah, I just saw the taillights peeking out the other day when I was walking the dog. So, yeah, it's uh, I don't know, a lot of good things on here. I, I won't read everything, but, you know, Zach Palmer went with the 95 uh, Integra GSR. That was a cool car. Mm -hmm. uh greg Reza did drive in the uh the 95 nissan maxima which that to me actually kind of really that car i think sort of put the maxima really on the map in the united states uh it was you know you've got the mr2 in here uh associate editor byron hurd went the, with the 95 volkswagen passat glx the really awesome advertisement and jeremy's yukon gt two-door which i think that's one i don't know that's another one that really kind of resonated with me i remember yeah. riding around and like 
friends, parents, Suburbans, and Yukons. And I think that's actually a part of the business right now that you could, maybe somebody like Scout will do this, is make like a larger body on frame SUV, but make it two doors. You know, if you yeah. look at like <laughs> Jeeps and like the Broncos, they're smaller vehicles, you know, relatively speaking, they're not small, but like, you know, you get a two door Jeep, it's still smaller than, you know, sort of like the attitude or the feeling of like what a two-door Yukon would have been. Even though I haven't looked at the dimensions, cars from the 90s are way smaller than cars now, but it's the idea of a large SUV with two doors. I, yeah, my Blazer, I had the I had the four-door, but it was big enough for me to uh, sleep in it comfortably. Wow. Uh, okay. I, I camped in it constantly. Um, 90s were fun but, for you. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, getting my license, you know, yeah. Th and this list, there's a lot of good stuff on there. There's, uh, you know, you can get a Cherokee. Yeah. Um, you can get basically any Cherokee. Uh, the Grand Cherokees are ruled out. Uh, those start at about twenty five. Um. Yeah, there was a. Uh, yeah, there's some really good stuff. The, the Oldsmobile Silhouette. I remember. Oh man, gosh, I, I I never wanted one. I always was just sort of fascinated with it. Um, well, there is a very the, John Snyder car, the yeah. Oldsmobile Silhouette. Yeah, and, and maybe now today, as a as a parent of two, yeah, with, you know, with a dog, um, that would be better than uh, an MR2. Uh, yeah, for me, <laughs> it was more interesting than like what was the the Chevy one was I think the Lumina, right? They randomly mm -hmm. put the car and made it a van variant, and then there was a Pontiac one as well. Um, yeah, man, GM was and really then, into the minivans for a minute, and then Eagle was mm -hmm. still around. Then my sister's first car before the Blazer was an Eagle Talon. Yeah, um, but those are those are all well under the uh, the the price cut there. I actually had a 93 Lumina four-door. It was the oh, Euro nice. sedan. Uh, it looks like by 95, it would have cost about 17-ish. So, you know, there's that. I mean, honestly, I was really struggling between the, uh, the Chevy Impala and the, uh, the Cherokee because I love those mm -hmm. XJs. Yeah. That's, those are two cars, three if I include the Grand Cherokee that I would legitimately love to drive right now and just have in the garage. So I yeah. don't know, we'll see. I had, an, I had an XJ a few years after this. Um, it was awesome. A little bit uh, less comfortable to sleep in than the Blazer. Okay. Just slightly like shorter um, cargo area. But I've got a neighbor that has like six, like five or six XJs wow. out in front of and behind their house at any given time and all different colors, you know, four door, two door. Um, I've always wanted to, you know, I hope I run into them at the, at the village green sometime so I can ask them about it. Cause it's, it's neat. They're like collecting them. I don't know what they're doing with them. That was your chance to, uh, that could be your chance to get into one of those, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. I, it seems like when you look around, you can still get into an XJ if, like you're on the hunt for it, if you will. Cause I feel like that's really going to be going to get expensive. Like they're either going to be like in yeah. junkyards or they're going to be on like Haggerty or cars and bids. And there's not going to be a lot of in between. Yeah, you're probably right. Although I do see some like pretty well-worn ones 
on the road uh, in Michigan. Some of them yeah. lifted, um, you know, but those are people that are probably, you know, constantly fixing them up to, just to keep them running, uh, using them as an off-road toy. Yeah. Looking just at the Pontiac lineup here, you could get a, you could get a Grand Am two-door uh, for about 13 and then the Grand Am GT was about 15. My brother had a 95. You know, I think he either had, I think he had a Grand Prix. He had a two-door Grand Prix, which was 17, which kind of surprises me that the Pontiac Grand Prix was that much back then. Like, relatively speaking, gosh, that car was such a piece. Like, he had a, he, it always <laughs> was in the shop. And at the point, by the point he acquired it, it was six, seven years old, which was, pretty old for a Pontiac back then, you know, but yeah. You can just get into a, a Saab 900 for, mm, yeah. for this price too. Yeah. yeah. 1995, you know, nineties cars, I think they're finally like sort of getting their due. A yeah. Bit. Cause I don't know. Maybe it's just nostalgia mm -hmm. rose colored glasses, but yeah, that's true. There's some there's some fun cars. Yeah. Fun to think about. Yeah. That's true. All right. I uh I was just I was just listening to the Wallflowers. That was another band around that time that was pretty <laughs> yeah. popular at the Counting Crows. I mean Green Day was a huge deal back then. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, man. It's it was a different time. So all right. Well, check out the list. We hope you uh as you're listening at home, you've had a good time going down memory lane with some of these cars, get in the comments, let us know what you think. You know, what did you, what did you drive in 1995? What's a car maybe from that time period that kind of hits with you? Uh, it's podcast at uh, autoblog.com. So send us, you know, send us a note too, if you want to do it that way, that'd be cool. And also, hey, any spend your monies, we can do that as well. So uh, let's check out uh, the, the Cybertruck news. That was the big reveal of, reveal i say that sort of with air quotes of last week uh there's a lot to unpack there it was essentially like some customers finally got some deliveries there was a big event uh elon musk sort of emceed it uh some theatrics uh, we got some pricing and other details and uh you know we really started to get at least some something substantive about the cybertruck after like what five years of kind of you know white noise or you know no noise for that matter on this <laughs> truck so you know i it was polarizing let's put it that way um oh, for sure what were what were your initial impressions um i thought the 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 actual production units i saw um you know, the, you know when they had the cameras on them um they looked really uh good they looked really really clean um you know a lot better than the late prototypes and, and their uh sketchy build yeah. quality you know that we'd been seeing on the roads um for that uh, so that was that was good to see um you know as production ramps up you know and and changes and all sorts of things you know you never know that production quality could be kind of all over the place but um i was definitely pleased with what i saw with that regard, um, at least with these uh, initial units, 
Um, some interesting things that you can get a uh, range extender, which is actually just uh, another battery pack that sort of installs into the bed. It takes up some of the bed space, but okay. um, gives you a lot more uh, range. Um, there's, uh, yeah, there's three different uh, trims basically that, that Musk um, announced that, well, that Tesla announced. Yeah. Musk didn't really talk about the details of the car much at the presentation, but um, but the, they published on their site. Uh, there's a real rear wheel drive model um, that that's not coming till 2025, and that will be the cheaper one, starting at uh, about 61,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll do uh, 250 miles of range uh, estimated. Um, Tesla says 6.5 seconds, zero to 60, so pretty quick, and can tow 7,500 pounds. Um, next up is the all wheel drive. Uh, dual motor version, seventy nine nine ninety. That comes next year. Um, Eleven thousand pounds towing, uh, four point one second, zero to sixty, six hundred horsepower. Uh, Tesla says three hundred fifty miles of range. Um, and then there's the Cyber Beast, which is also coming next year. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, close to hundred grand, ninety nine nine ninety, uh, but eight hundred forty five horsepower. 0 60 in 2.6 seconds and um, uh, 320 miles of range, um, also towing 11,000 pounds. So that, those are really impressive specs for that one. Uh, I imagine a lot of the, the performance um, videos that Tesla was showing off, uh, you know, drag racing a 911 while towing a 911, that sort of thing. Um, they were probably using uh, Cyber Beast for that sort of stuff. But um, you know the rear-wheel drive model, sixty grand. Um, you know, two hundred fifty miles is you know, decent, um, but yeah, I mean that's not terrible pricing. I mean, I know, I know it's a lot more than than Tesla originally said, um, but you know, uh, there's no way Tesla's going to actually sell one around forty thousand uh, to begin with. I don't know that anyone ever believed that and then with uh inflation over the past four years um the 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 pricing seems not too crazy to me that's just maybe that's just me but um i know it does sort of put it out of uh out of budget for a lot of people who thought they were going to be able to to get one for you know uh 40 50 grand um so that's a bummer in that regard. Um, still really weird looking car. Uh, <laughs> really weird looking truck. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm not, I'm not wholly convinced about the utility of it. Um, just the shape of it. And you know, the, the rear window seems, you know, just the angles of it in general just seem, make it seem pretty impractical <laughs> in a lot of ways but um you know if it lives up to these uh to these specs i mean some of the stuff is stupid though like bulletproof doors <laughs> what do you need that for right yeah like that it's so silly um yeah that, that's where stuff there's just the way the car was presented as this like 
um, futuristic post-apocalyptic thing is just, I don't know. <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, I'm interested to see, you know, how successful the Cybertruck actually is. Um, and I know there were a lot of reservations, uh, you know, hundred dollar refundable reservations for it. Um, did you, did you pull one down? I did not know. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm rarely, uh, an early adopter of anything. Um, yeah. Yeah. I want to wait till something's been in production for a year so they can work the kinks out <laughs> before I, yeah. before I get it. Um, but I don't know. I, if I was looking for a, a pickup around 60,000, um, I don't know. I could, I'd consider it. Um, you have access to Tesla's, charging infrastructure it's a big deal um yeah which is great i mean granted with the deals with the other automakers you'll have that anyway uh soon but um and i i actually i don't it looks weird but i i kind of like um weird looking sort of ugly cars <laughs> but um i don't know what what did what did you think of it yeah. Uh, so my opinions are kind of all over the place and I've been really interested to just kind of listen to like just the public tenor surrounding the Cybertruck, which has changed so much. I think that's sort of, um, you know, reflected the change in the tone around Tesla, uh, mm -hmm. you know, largely based on a lot of, uh, you know, the ways Elon Musk has been acting, uh, basically. Um, cause I feel like when this thing first launched, there was skepticism, but there was also a fair amount of like maybe cheerleading, you know, by yeah. you know some of our automotive colleagues. Now I feel like most of that is dissipated. Um, I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, I probably shouldn't even care. You know, it's really like, what do I think? And I mean, I was putting all that other stuff aside, just looking at the vehicle itself. I was a little surprised that the build quality seemed uh, a little surprised it seemed i think of the key words there seemed better than it uh that it was i guess common sense would say we didn't really expect it to be as bad as some of these like viral videos and pictures we were seeing like did anybody really think they were going to make a final product that right. was as crappy as that vinyl thing that franz von holzhausen took the cars and coffee and Southern California. I, like, I, didn't, I guess I didn't really think they'd roll something like that out. So that appeared to be better. Um, pricing's about what I thought. The original numbers they talked about, I mean, I don't think that was even going to hold true even then, let alone five years later with inflation yeah. and the global pandemic and all the things that impacted car prices. Um, from an appearance standpoint, I kind of like what it is. Uh, I like interesting design i think you know i don't have to buy it you know it's like as a right. car as a car enthusiast i can kind of like a wedge-shaped thing and then just move on with my life if <laughs> you like it that much go buy it if you don't cool you know get into the comments either way it's a free country do whatever you want and i think you know i tend to like it when car makers take risks in design otherwise you just have like I don't know, the midsize SUV segment where everything looks like an Explorer, you know? Right. So why not take a risk? Stainless steel, 
you know, I think they made this out about as hard on themselves as they probably yeah. could have by doing <laughs> that. They could have got this thing out without doing that. Um, you look at DeLorean. There, I mean, what other significant examples in automotive history can you think of where they did this, right? Right. It's pretty few and far between. Uh, but clearly they wanted to make this like a, uh, uh, a desirable object, you know, not just a truck, not even just like a luxury item. They wanted it to be almost like a cultural touchstone. I don't think they necessarily have achieved that, nor are they going to, because I think, frankly, you know, I think a lot of people at this point are sort of also turned off by Tesla. It's flipped a little bit from where it was five years ago, where like, you know, Tesla was on the vanguard of EVs and they're still the largest EV maker in the United States, with states, which is significant. But I think there's been blowback from, you know, a lot of different, you know, corners towards, you know, Elon Musk in particular. Now, I don't know if that's enough to stop people from buying his products or not. I don't know, because a lot of people still use Twitter, uh, even if they don't like him. That's a tool that they need in their life. Um, so all that's to say that I feel like, you know, the honeymoon for a lot of his products where you would just roll them out and everybody would love them, like a lot of people would, is definitely over. And there was a poll this morning or yesterday about how two thirds of Americans wouldn't even buy a Cybertruck. I don't know, I don't know if I necessarily put myself in that camp because I think all cars are interesting and, you know, there's, you know, a lot of things at play. But um, it, it did seem to get a much more cynical reaction than I almost would have maybe expected back in 17 or 18 or whenever they first show this thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'm a little all over the place. Like, I mean, wedge shaped design, stainless steel, sign me up, you know, electric. Yeah. Cool. Is it really a truck? Not really. It's like an El Camino or a crossover is what it really is because it's enclosed, which mm -hmm. I don't know. Frankly, that kind of works better for me. If I were to buy a pickup, I'd probably get a midsize truck with a tonneau cover on it. So that doesn't yeah. necessarily dissuade me. You know, pricing, whatever. You throw the intangibles about Tesla and Musk. So, I mean, man, there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot of baggage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm interested to see how the, the whole stainless steel thing shakes out. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting... Um, material i mean yeah you're going to be you know less successful like you know uh, almost invulnerable to rust um and you know but what what does that mean for repairs if it gets if it, if it does get shot up you know and you have to fix the dents in it or you know it, it's going to be a little more difficult and expensive to repair i think and um you know, I don't know much about um, you know the cost of of manufacturing, but I'm, I'll be interesting interested to see you know how that affects you know Tesla's bottom bottom line. You know, I mean, it's you don't stamp it, right? Yeah, it's you sort of cut it and you know weld it together, um, which is interesting. I don't know if that's going to be you know, more cost effective than, you know, the traditional production. But um, I I'm curious to see, you know, Musk said it's going to be a while before they start making money on these, um, which is 
not surprising um, for, you know, that's, that's uh, how Tesla does its business. It loses money on, you know, that, and that's how generally EVs <laughs> work. You know, yeah. uh, you lose money until you start to make money. Um, but I'll be interested to see how that all shakes out and how, um, you know, if anyone else, if it works out for Tesla, who is, is anyone else going to follow suit? Will we see another stainless steel car? Um, I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading this thing from Wisconsin Metal Tech. I don't know who the hell these guys are, um, but they have a kind of a random, it's almost like a white paper, an article on just the very short history of stainless steel cars. It's like the DeLorean. Um, sounds like Ford did something in the 30s. Um, let's see, Ford did something in 1960s with two Thunderbirds, which was actually a pretty cool Thunderbird, that generation of Thunderbird. Uh, looks like there was a late 50s Cadillac, 70s oh, yeah. Cadillac, and then, I don't know, it diverges into talking about cars with gold plating. So I assume stainless Ooh. steel in gold plating, the, the use cases are about the same. <laughs> Well, if you could, if you could, uh, you know, give the cars sort of a different finish, but keep it that metallic finish, like, oh, that'd be cool. Like, yeah. Like a gold, maybe not necessarily plate something in gold, but yeah. give it a, a, give the, the steel a metal, uh, a golden finish. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now at this point, we're talking more about flatware than we are like, you know, yeah. drivable machinery. So, <laughs> I mean, I think this is going to be one of the more interesting, like just stories of the car business in the next, say, like two years. Like, yeah. are they going to be able to scale up? Is the public, is there an appetite for this vehicle? My guess is probably yes. I mean, they have over a million, I think, hand raisers. I'm not sure if everybody's put those deposits down or not, which is basically like four years of production, like at the high end, if they're churning out 250,000 a year, um, can they do that? Are these things going to be the biggest disaster since like, you know, the Edsel or the DeLorean or something? Like, <laughs> I mean, I just feel like when they build these in mass, we're going to be writing stories about just crashes, electrical problems, fires, dents rusted out ones although they, they stainless steel it doesn't rust but i just feel like we're going to be getting or maybe it'll go the other way it's just going to be like you know like i said it's you know there's a lot of baggage with tesla with musk with twitter slash x uh, but just looking at it purely from a product perspective like i can't remember another product that was this hyped this anticipated and had this many variables you yeah. know like the Ford F-150 Lightning doesn't have this many variables. Like we know the body's going to work. You know, we, we're not worried about the body panels. You know, we're not worried about Ford not being able to make them because they've been making trucks since World War One. You know, like mm -hmm. Tesla hasn't. You know, they've done a lot of other things very successful. And there are things like, to your point, about the supercharger network that are really in its favor that other companies don't have. So... It's just going to be quite a show, man. Like sometimes, what do they say? What's the saying? You root for radio, you root for TV, you just root for the internet here. You know, we'll see. Like people have seem to have no shortage of interest in it. So, well, I mean, pretty much anything that happens with it, it's going to be uncharted territory. So it'll be interesting to watch. There's going to be a lot of news on it, regardless of whether it's good news or bad news, just because yeah. it's all new. 
it's yeah. just new things to deal with. All right. Well, check out our coverage. Uh, this is another one. We have the story. You wrote it. Uh, it was also, uh, I believe, picked up by our friends over at Yahoo, which is uh, site we're affiliated with. Obviously, they own us. <laughs> site we're affiliated with. Um, Jonathan Ramsey did a nice column, and James yeah. Ruswick did a nice column, too. So yep. we kind of hit it uh, a lot of different ways. Uh, so check that out. If you, know, you need to, just you missed it, check it out. So let's run through some other fairly quick news items at this point. The Jeep Renegade is done. Uh, it's the smallest Jeep. It was the, the least expensive. It's going to be done after this model year. Uh, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I don't know. It was a nice entry point for the Jeep brand. I think it had some charm. I remember when they launched it. It definitely was a bit of a departure from everything else Jeep did. Uh, you know, we liked it. We did a compact crossover test a few years ago, and I, I believe it finished second. It was behind yeah. uh, the Kia, the Kia Soul, right? Yep. I, yeah. We <laughs> liked that one too. Another the segment's totally different. Yeah. So, I mean, it definitely had some supporters. You see them on the road. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, they used to sell a ton of them. Yeah. Um, you know, when it launched, there, there was they were selling a lot of them and then yeah sales have dwindled uh recently they haven't you know done anything to the car in a while yeah. so um and yeah i don't know it's uh yeah i i i, I want to see if if jeep comes up with a new entry vehicle or if they just leave leave it as the compass um cuz i mean so many cars I mean, so many entry-level cars now are uh, getting more and more expensive. The the point of entry into almost any brand is, has gone up quite a bit. So yeah. when you see something like the, the Buick and Vista or the Chevy Trax, and they end up actually being good, um, it's a breath of fresh air. Um, so I wonder, I, I don't think Jeep needs to have uh, a cheap car mm -hmm. in its lineup. Um, it's kind of not where the brand is going. They just seem to be moving up market uh, with everything in general. Um, but yeah, I, I wonder if you know they're leaving some sales on the table by not having that um, more affordable offering. You know, they could have uh, updated the Renegade and maybe seen sales climb again. I don't know. We tend to get a little nostalgic when almost any car is killed, yeah. like the Chevy Bolt and the Chevy Volt, and we'll talk about the Bolt here in a minute. But um, I don't know. It didn't sound like there was any real plan to really update this. And Jeep is going to get really like into hybrids, plug-in hybrids and EVs in the next few years. So I think they just had to kind of trim the fat somewhere, and it wasn't really paying the rent for them. Mm -hmm. uh, I think also... You know, I, I will give credit where credit's due. They did bring a character into this either compact or subcompact sub crossover segment when they, it was really lacking. That was one of the things we did really like about this at the crossover test, uh, which we did up north. But it was also like it wasn't really competitive. The powertrains were kind of meh. Interior was dated. And even the charms weren't like all that charming anymore. Didn't really feel like a Jeep all that much. You know, it just yeah. barely felt like a Jeep. So when you got things like the Invista and the uh, the Chevy Trax, some of the things from Hyundai, Mazda, 
it's just like in this segment, you got to be good and you still have to be fairly inexpensive. And, you know, Jeep is making a lot of good stuff, but Jeeps aren't really cheap either. So, so long, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I really liked it though. Like I, I, it was never a car I would have considered buying, but when we did that comparison test, I, I sort of fell in love with it. It, it, you know, it's sort of badge engineered and whatever, but it, it definitely did have uh, enough Jeep feeling in it for me to feel like, oh, this this cheap Jeep's a a, mm-hmm. a Jeep, you know. It's got all wheel drive, four wheel drive, and you know, it was it had it actually sounded pretty good. Uh, it had that sort of boxy shape to it that felt good to be in you could see around you really well and um yeah i try not to be nostalgic about a car that i (laughs) never owned but uh, yeah all right did you ever drive the fiat 500e i guess we'll we'll transition to another small stellantis project product right uh no not, not the not the electric one yeah the um so it's it's coming to the United States. We all thought we knew this. Uh, we all knew this. It's uh, it's there's. I think the kind of interesting thing here too is you um, you could get a level two home charger, or public charger credits are included. So mm-hmm. it's you get this small little electric Fiat, which some people I think are going to think this is a really cool little city car. Uh, you know, I personally I've never really loved the Fiat five hundred for most of my uses because it's just too small but it's it's definitely a cool design play it's a european car and i think honestly it could be a really good city car you know i think if they market it to the right sort of markets this could work you know so we'll see yeah it depends on uh, also on how it drives but yeah um, uh you know like the the mini se is yeah really fun to drive it it feels like a mini um you know if this thing um feels you know sporty and nimble and all that and um you know it's got more range than the mini se um sure it could uh could be attractive to people who you know don't need to drive you know more than well let's see it says 149 miles of range um that's like uh like a base leaf you know yeah um which there's a market for uh most people at least in the u.s want more range than that but you know the city dwellers who would who would prefer a smaller car it's easier to park and navigate narrow streets um you know 149 might be more than enough for them especially if it's their you know second car uh but yeah i think it could uh, work if you live downtown any urban center chicago new york detroit where like you know streets are tight you want something that's a little more nimble like i think this could work you want to go electric a lot of times i mean infrastructure is all over the place it really is you know Mm -hmm. um so it might be for the person who drives short distances or like everyday short distances or who you know maybe drives like two to four times per week i can see that you know like Mm -hmm. you don't have to charge it if you're just maybe you know trying to get across you know 
Chicago is a city that comes to mind because New York is all about, you know, taxis and mass transit. But I don't know. I, I don't We'll see. Yeah. If you're someone who like rides your bike to work every day during the summer and just yeah. don't want to deal with that in the winter, <laughs> not a bad, not a bad uh, choice. Yeah. No, it's, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a situation where it's a pretty, still a pretty small market, if you will. But, uh, you know, so it goes. I'm actually driving a Mazda 3 this week, which is bigger than a Fiat 500. And we'll talk about that on a future podcast. But one of the things I'm really enjoying is just being able to like kind of dart in and out of parking lots, traffic. Yeah. It's like parking at my kid's school. It's like, you know, a dock of large SUVs. And it's like, I can shoot in between, you know, parking spaces, lanes, get out of there, you know? And it's like, go to any like grocery store. And again, it's like, you know, ocean liners of SUVs, you know? And it's, it's kind of fun. Plus it's a fun car to drive, so. Yeah, when I had the Mini SE, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, that, that was like, it's really um, able to work its way through through traffic. Um, you just almost feel like you're, 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 you're a ghost just slipping, slipping through everything. Yeah. Um, and yeah, navigating parking lots, it made running to the grocery store, um, a lot quicker. Yeah. <laughs> I could just easily park it anywhere. Uh, even if someone was hanging over the line, I could still fit in that little parking space and, um, get in and out real quick. And, and then, yeah, super zippy, <laughs> fun, fun having a, a electric powertrain and something that small it just feels yeah real peppy yeah well speaking of electrics the bolt is back uh general motors ceo mary barra sort of confirmed some specifics earlier this week at an event in detroit uh it's 2025 is the timeline it's going to be altium powered we mostly knew this but mm -hmm. uh she sort of articulated it at an event this was uh, actually an automotive press association event so shout out to that of which i'm a member I uh, didn't make the event, but you know the her comments made the rounds. And I think um, I remember being at the event in Detroit at the auto show when she unveiled it. Actually, uh, this was probably ten years ago, the original Bolt. And it was funny; people were like, "Did she say Bolt or Volt?" Because the Volt <laughs> was still a thing then too. Volt is gone. Bolt is back. And uh, you know, I think it was you know a smart move by you know General Motors to bring it back. You know, I think it's, it was, frankly, it was nice to almost reassuringly hear her uh, lay out some details because, you know, companies say a car is coming back and then you're like, well, okay, when is it coming back? And this was pretty, pretty specific. So I think it's, it fills a gap. It gives, you know, people who are looking to get into the EV space, uh, accessible price point to do so. Definitely. The Bolt is, you know, very attractive for that reason. Yeah. Um, and, and because it offers good range and it has, you know, <laughs> it was, is, was one of the longest range cars for, for a long time. Um, so, I mean, there's going to be changes and improvements to the, the new one to come out, but the, the current one is, is still like super attractive to me. I, I think, you know, it, it still has some, lifespan in it even though they're killing it off um makes like i've i'm really tempted to get one uh, and you and i have talked about this offline like i've, I've 
sort of been bugging my wife. We should get a bolt. We should just get a bolt for you know our our second yeah. car. Um, but she she just doesn't like it. So she, she okay. wants she she uh, a Mach-E or something is more lo- uh, more of of her taste, which that's fine with me. I yeah. I would not you know if she wants to if she's gonna say let's not get a bolt, let's get a Mach-E. Uh, I'll be like, oh, it's more expensive, but I'm not going to complain all that much because, yeah, God, that's that's a great car. I would I would rather have the Mach-E. Right, uh, right. Yeah, I would. But that might be one you can, you know, lose the fight, if you will, and enjoy the yeah. Mach-E. I don't know. But for for a car that, you know, is not going to get driven a lot, you know. Yeah. Um, not nearly as much as. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe if we had it, she would she would drive it more than the Palisade. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, so, all right, it's a good move by GM, and then we'll close out the news section here. Just kind of a preview. CES Honda is going to like show its entire like EV lineup. I assume there'll be some concepts mixed in here. Uh, it's you know part of their plans to go zero emissions, which I guess would be all electric by twenty forty, which is. Uh, that's sort of the outer range of what we're seeing for companies like GM has said 2035. Other companies have said even sooner, uh, obviously if they might have smaller lineups, uh, but it's still, it's a goal. Let's put it that way. And they have it. And obviously they're serious about it. If they're uh, going to do, uh, you know, sort of preview here at CES, uh, our associate editor, Byron Hurd will be on that trip. Uh, uh, to CES, and I think he's going to be, uh, you know, covering Honda closely. So it's, you know, I'm going to be intrigued by this. I think, uh, yeah, you know, they they have the Prologue, which they which is Altium based. They created that with General Motors, uh, and then I believe the deal ended. Uh, they both went their separate ways, which is it's just kind of interesting considering they're both trying to scale up. But uh, to me, this right now is the single biggest news looking ahead to CES in just over a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what Honda has. Um, in the teaser, if you look at Byron's article on it, the the, the image that Honda um, sort of teased us with is this sort of wedge-shaped mm-hmm. uh, car. You just see the, this, the nose of it and, and part of a wheel uh, all clouded in shadows. But mm, it's... Um, yeah. Uh, but it looks like something like it could be something pretty sporty, which, um, you know, that makes me excited. Um, I, Honda's shown some, some really cool, uh, EV concepts in the past, like the, the Honda E and the, the sports EV that they showed, um, back at, uh, was it Frankfurt or something? <laughs> it was, it was several yeah. years. I, I remember seeing it on the, seeing them on the floor. At Frankfurt, but they had already been revealed. Uh, but you know, hopefully, what they show us here um, at CES is going to be things that you know we'll actually see in the American market too. Um, but whatever this is that they're showing the front end of uh, is intriguing for sure. I hope they do show some sort of sports car or concept yeah. at CES. I think it's a good place to do it. There's a lot of vaporware at CES. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, who knows how close that would be to production, but I hope they do it. Um, 
Yeah, more on that to come. CES is going to be a big show this year. So, yeah, it is. And it's turning into more and more of a car show every year, too. It really is. There was a little bit of ebb and flow there for a while, but uh, what we're seeing is it's really stacking up to be a pretty big deal. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about uh, our drive segment. We got two EVs and we've got uh, a twin turbo V6. <laughs> So you want to go first, talk about the BZ4X, which is a mouthful? Sure. I've been driving it the last few days. Uh, and, you know, I actually quite like it. Um, okay. I liked the Solterra a lot when I drove that. And that's basically the same car. Um, but the Toyota feels a little bit more uh, refined, a little bit. You know, it just I think it looks... Uh, a little sharper, a little more mature than than the playfulness of the of the Subaru, um, but you know I've I've actually quite enjoyed driving it more than I I thought I would. Um, the interior is is quite comfortable. The seats are excellent. Okay, has these really supportive, um, well bolstered, well shaped um, seats that uh, yeah I just really really like them. Um, they just sort of fit me perfectly. And I'm curious to see what other people think of it uh, who have sat in it. Because uh, uh, it stood out to me immediately just how how uh, well-shaped and, yeah, supportive and comfortable they were. Um, it's very smooth driving, as you would expect. Um, and, uh, you know, there's there's some weird things about it, like the the steering column uh you know it when you when you adjust the steering wheel it tends to block out the uh, the instrument panel the digital instrument cluster uh depending on how you sit so that's that's something that bothered me too about the solterra um but i found that even with the steering wheel blocking half half the instrument panel uh it doesn't really bother me i don't really after after the five minutes of driving i don't really notice it and, um, maybe it's my brain just filling in the parts of the digits behind it or you know i'm just shifting uh imperceptibly to to see the rest of it um, and uh yeah this one's all-wheel drive so interestingly it's got uh subaru's x mode it's got an x mode button in it for you know dirt and sand and, and snow um so yeah, there's definitely some of those Subaru things um, hidden throughout it, and then uh, it's got interesting materials. You know, on the dash, there's a, sort of a fabric, <laughs> um, which is interesting, and it, it it feels a little bit nicer than I recall the uh, dash material of the uh, Solterra feeling. Um, so yeah, the, the one problem with it is is range um you can't get a a lot of range in it and, and when you get all-wheel drive you start giving up um some more range so let's see uh the uh you can get the front wheel drive version um you get 252 miles which isn't bad um the all-wheel drive version that I have it's the limited all-wheel drive. Um, you get down to 222, and okay. 
in the cold weather, um, that goes down quite a bit. Um, I, I haven't kept it at a full charge. You know, I've just been charging it here and there at home. Um, so it hasn't been all the way charged, but uh, even then I haven't even seen it close to, to 200 miles uh, of range in this, in this cold weather. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I do like that they offer um, a front-wheel drive version of it. A lot of EVs are either rear-wheel drive or all-wheel drive. Um, and there's no, you know, for me, the front-wheel front, front drive is a good in-between. It's a really good way to save money on a car, but also have it be usable um, in the winter. Uh, especially around here, like, I'm not too keen on driving rear-wheel drive in the winter unless it's a lightweight car with really good um, snow tires on it. And even then, um, probably going to try and avoid driving as much as possible in the snow. But um, I'll drive front-wheel drive in the snow all the time. And I might choose the front-wheel drive over the all-wheel drive okay. of the BZ4X, specifically because it's cheaper. It starts at 42000 Yeah. Um, and because you get more range, you get the full 252 miles uh, of EPA rating. Uh, <laughs> whether you actually get that much range throughout the year um, remains to be seen. But uh, yeah, this, this time of this time of year is always interesting to to test uh, EVs because you just lose so much of that range to the weather. Yeah, I remember that a little bit with that long term Kia EV6. You yeah. know, it just the some of the range would disappear pretty quickly, and the charge times would be greatly lengthened. But um, I don't know; it's a cool looking car. I think it's yeah. definitely is Toyota kind of tweaks its lineup. You know, it definitely offers something on the showroom floor for you know, Toyota buyers interested in an EV. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you might get someone who's been driving a Venza for a while and sees this and like, oh, it kind of looks like that and you know, similar body style, a little bit sharper yeah. looking, almost looks like it has some, some Lexus styling to it. Um, <clears throat> and then all electric, you know, yeah. like, but, but Toyota, who's, you know, I'm already familiar with their electric motors and, and, uh, you know, their hybrids have treated me well for years and years and years. Uh, I'm going to take the leap. I'm sticking with Toyota. Not a bad car at all. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I think this could be the answer for EV buyers who treat... I, I don't think with EVs being so different to so many people, I think it's still a leap and you would still be almost like, you know, early adopter isn't maybe exactly where we are, but still be somebody who's willing to take a technological leap as opposed to somebody like me who's like, hmm, can I get an iPhone SE for cheap because my phone's broken? Or like the way other people buy microwaves or toasters. But I do think this does offer like that assurance to somebody like, well, it's Toyota. I've had a Toyota. It's electric. It looks kind of cool. Like it could be that right gateway. So do I think it's going to be a huge game changer? I, I really don't. I don't think this is going to attract a lot of new buyers potentially to Toyota. Uh, but that does bring me to a car that I do think could be more of a game changer, which is the Kia EV9. I drove it yesterday. I had the EV9 GT line with E all-wheel drive, as they say. Uh, it started at just under $74,000, so it was not cheap. It was actually a little more than I even expected. But for that kind of money, you're getting a three-row electric SUV. 
if you want to go rear wheel drive, you could get into it for about $55,000. So, you know, there's a fairly, you know, significant, you know, delta of, you know, from the lowest to the highest price points, depending on what you're looking to do here. Um, mine, uh, total horsepower was 379 horsepower and 516 pound feet of torque. So it will move. Uh, you can tow up to 5,000 people and yes, you can seat six or seven. And they're going to apparently build it in America in 2024 as I read the spec sheet here. I believe they're going to do that in, I want to say West Point, Georgia. I'm not sure if I have that totally right, but uh, yeah, they're going to do that. So that would enable some tax credits. Um, it was an impressive vehicle. It really was. I know you're going to be driving it in about a month here out in California for a first drive too. Yeah, I'm looking forward to driving it. Uh, I have spent some time with it, uh, you know, in a stationary setting. Yeah, um, you know, just packed full of features. <laughs> you know, I, the ones I saw were definitely higher trim, but um, yeah, just packed packed full of content as you know, Kia and Hyundai tend to do. Um, and yeah, like really sort of catering to those rear passengers, trying to make them comfortable and give them they, there was lots of usb ports and uh there was a drawer in the back of the of the center console for the second row passengers and you know, had those uh second row seats with the leg rest and mm -hmm. you know, the recline um much in the way that the front seats in, in some you know hyundai's and kia's do uh like the hyundai ionic and kia ev6 if you get that package um but yeah, really comfortable. Uh, you know, they use a ton of recycled materials. Yeah, uh, throughout too, which is really interesting. Uh, but yeah, curious to see how it drives. Again, one of those vehicles where I wish there was a uh, front wheel drive version rather than rear wheel drive. Uh, just yeah, as an that, enthusiast, that nice, you're that, supposed to want that rear wheel drive. Come on, I know, but but especially like in a, a three wheel uh, SUV. I mean, three yeah. row SUV that that. Uh, that sort of middle ground of, of practicality, uh, you know, save on price and range, um, but still be able to, to drive it confidently in the winter. Um, front wheel drive would be nice. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm curious to, to, to drive it. I, I know the other Hyundais and Kias that I've driven, um, you know, they're either real, rear wheel drive or all wheel drive. The uh, all wheel drive ones do have that uh, rear bias though, which yeah. is really, really fun. And their uh, rear motor setup is what makes that possible. So um, it does make the rear wheel drive versions very fun to drive as well. Um, so I can see myself enjoying that, but just, you know, living with it in the winter. Uh, I, everything's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, as the snow starts coming Winter's down coming here. and you're, you're, yeah. you're thinking, because I know you're very active in winter and you want to be able to do all the things you want to do. So yeah. you need all wheel drive and snow tires and, you know, yeah. I mean, I agree. That's an interesting setup with, you know, rear wheel drive, but, you know, I think snow tires, you'd probably be fine. It really reminds me of like a Ford Flex. Um, yeah. Just that kind of barge square box. It's a good size vehicle. You know, again, three rows. Car and drivers said they hit 
4.5 seconds in the zero to 60 race. So, I mean, I didn't really hammer it that hard, but uh, I did give it, you know, give it some throttle, if you will, on, uh, on Woodward. In fact, I drove it around yesterday morning. It was kind of a sunny, snowy morning. So it, it can move for sure. Um, steering reminds me a lot of like, uh, like some other electric cars where that's maybe a little bit lighter at times or certainly that regen kind of vibe. Um, yeah, I think it looks cool as hell, man. Just you look at those headlights, yeah. the kind of fender flares, just the roof line. Uh, wheels. <laughs> the wheels look sweet. Kia's, Kia does a great job with their wheels. Um, yeah, a lot to like about it. I Honestly, I it was a very quick loan. It's up for SUV of the year uh, for the North American uh, Car, Truck, and SUV of the Year awards. So whenever those come through like a fleet, they're very quick loans a lot of the time. And it, it definitely was a vehicle that left me wanting more. You know, I, I'm sure you'll probably get a little more seat time with it. And I'll be definitely interested to hear what you think. Yeah, I'm really curious to drive it, you know, as as someone who drives a uh, Hyundai Palisade. Yeah. Uh, seeing what Hyundai and Kia have to offer in a three-row with electric. Um, maybe maybe I'm shopping for my next car, like, you know, five years down the line or something. But. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely... There's not that many electric SUVs out there, especially ones this big. So yeah. it definitely, I mean, that alone to me fills a gap that like things like the BZ4X don't really do. You know, it feels like there's a lot of mid compact crossovers that are electric right now. There's a lot of them in different forms and shapes and price points. Um, but I mean, you know, we talked about why we thought the Bolt was so compelling on the small side in the entry, more entry level price point. To me, this is equally compelling on that other end of the spectrum. So, yeah, definitely. All right. Yep, looking forward to driving it. And um, yeah, I, w I was peppering you with questions about it yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> it's I, I mean, I, like I said, I really enjoyed it. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention, but I should. Visibility was pretty good. You expect the three row SUV to be like you know, just a barge, but the eight pillars I thought were thinner than even some like smaller cars I've driven, you know, recently it was better visibility for a variety of reasons than the Toyota Prius, you know, which has that very sharp roof line. The pillars are pretty thick and you're low to the ground with this, you're upright. It's a box and the pillars, at least for the segment seemed relatively thin. I mean, get inside a Tahoe man. And like, you know, you can miss <laughs> entire, like, you know, blocks of a street. So yeah, yeah, I, I definitely like that. It was very drivable. Cool. Yeah. Close things out with the Audi SQ, uh, SQ5 Sportback, which was I thought a lot of fun. It's been a while since I've been in one. Uh, this one came in at seventy six five one five, so you know about the cost of entry for a, you know, Audi crossover, if you will, uh, in this mm -hmm. segment. Uh, mine had kind of like silver metallic. Uh, Paint with a magma red interior. The magma is an option, uh, which is included on this sort of package, if you will, this trim. Uh, it had the TFSI V6, works with the eight-speed Tiptronic. So very straight out of central casting Audi, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you know, it looked like one. It had the beautiful uh, LED lights. It had their LED lights inside. Um, seemed pretty quick, you know. Um, 
there was that. It was like sort of like a torquey experience as you would expect the the turbo to be. Um, I don't think it's a bad deal. You know, you know, it's it's like it's such a known quantity. Uh, the one thing I would say is, uh, you you know, you've probably driven a lot of Audis with virtual cockpit. This one, I remember when that was like Star Wars, just how forward looking that yeah. seemed. I got in there and I was kind of like, oh yeah, this is just like ten years on what virtual cockpit looks like. It wasn't all that special. I didn't even like the infotainment system all that much. It was like the ten point one inch screen. I thought seemed small and a little dated. It was a little bit of a pain to toggle through different things. So, you know, again, like true to form, again, straight out of central casting, but in some ways it felt a little boring compared to some of the BMW and Audi and uh, Mercedes vehicles I've driven lately. Yeah, I mean, I can don't see hate that. it. Still like it, but <laughs> I yeah, can see that. it is it is a little bit more, um, I don't know, buttoned up than those, I suppose. Um, but in that way, it also feels more, I don't know, something mature about it. Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. It, it's it's a little bit of a, a conservative take on on the segment. Um, you know, compared to bmw and mercedes maybe but um i i thought it was i mean really comfortable um yeah. really sort of versatile uh, yeah on on different types of roads um i i had one um a couple years ago now uh for the for the first drive and um during covid mm. um i remember driving it um it, it just transitioned really nicely from um like smooth uh you know curving winding roads to dirt roads yeah um, it just you know took every, anything you could throw at it any sort of road you know potholes uh you know the highway you know it was just just did well <laughs> on everything you couldn't really get it off its guard um and uh yeah so I, I, that says a lot about the the suspension and the, the chassis yeah um in general but uh but yeah i thought it was in this i like the styling um especially the the interior styling mm -hmm. um very clean um some some just neat sort of architectural touches there um yeah but the virtual cockpit <laughs> is it's 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 it is funny how how that's something that we've grown so used to now <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. but yeah uh sq5 yeah i i think in the q5 uh realm my my favorite is, is still the plug-in hybrid um yeah just really Let's really well balanced in terms of you know it's just it's sort of the goldilocks of them but um yeah sq5 is, is pretty fun yeah we it was very functional we got like a wagon in the back you know, umbrellas. I put a fair amount of miles on it and I really enjoyed, enjoyed that too. Like I like driving Audis. I like, you know, people see the four rings on the hood and it's like, Oh, that's an Audi. That's nice. Yeah. You know? And it's definitely like the exterior design and the interior was pretty good. It had, you know, again, the red, le red leather, uh, seats, which were pretty comfortable. Uh, lots of that. I don't think it's specifically Alcantara, but like crushed sort of you know, material that goes in the doors. There are some carbon inserts. So pretty attractive in a traditional sense there. 
a lot of stuff that five years ago we would have been blown away by. And now we're kind of like, okay, you know, par for the course. But, um, yeah. you know, it, you know, again, drove very well. Audis, I, I like their general dynamics, especially, you know, they make it do a good job of making a car in this segment, a crossover in this segment, fairly fun to drive. Yeah. Uh, you know, 349 horsepower, I believe. So that's not nothing. Um, and I think I like the word you use that it's very like, I think you said it was mature, right? And that's, uh -huh. I think, compared to like, say, a BMW X3 or an X3M uh, or like an Alfa Romeo, like a Stelvio, like particularly in quadrifolio trim uh, or, you know, an AMG, you know, those are, again, also, I think, very mature vehicles, but they're a little more polarizing. The Audi is just more like, hey, this is what we do. This is what we've been doing. You don't like it. You want that grill over there. You could go talk to BMW, but <laughs> we're going to give you a silver crossover with a powerful engine, good chassis design. And that's what we're going to do. So I can respect that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The other, I think the kind of final point I thought was like for 78 grand, you get a lot of different things for that, you know? Like would I want to maybe go Wrangler or Bronco? I don't know. You know, maybe something get like an entry level body on frame, you know, SUV or something like for 78 grand, that's a fair amount of money. Is this how I would spend my money on it? I don't know. I really don't. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah. There's just so much out there. Yeah. At that price point. But, you know, for some people, for sure, you know, yeah. they want something that, that looks good and yeah. sort of conservative, but also sporty. Um, yeah. All right. All right. It was a pretty, pretty lengthy show here. We are over an hour. Uh, I don't think we've hit it quite as long as we went a couple of weeks ago with, uh, I think we had about 115. So we'll try to get under that. Do you have any winter drinking recommendations for everybody who's still listening here? Um, let's see. Uh, and, you know, when I... I go outside a lot in the cold. Um, I'm always doing something, checking on the chickens, playing with the kids, uh, chopping up the giant branch that nice. fell into my driveway to turn it into into firewood. And what I want after that, you'd think, you know, winter. I want you want like something uh, dark and and thick. And but um, after one of those days. Recently, I, we went to um, Arbor Brewing Company and had their euchre pills. And man, oh, that's good. That, that just that just hit the spot. Yeah, uh, just it's a, good a, beer. A, a nice solid pilsner. Um, you know that that was <laughs> that was really good. Uh, but also, uh, you know, I I did spend a Saturday evening. Uh, at Connor O'Neill's watching the Big Ten Championship drinking Guinness. Yeah, so, there you go. That was also good, but that wasn't uh, as active of a, of a day. So <laughs> I had a pint of Guinness at Connor O'Neill's myself uh, a few weeks back, uh, and I had some of their Irish stew. It was pretty good. It's a good bar. Uh, yeah, I had the box tea, the, the oh, pancakes. Thought about that. Yeah, that was on the list. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll close things out. My recommendation, I think I've met, I've mentioned this before, usually in summer, but I found a blood orange honey beer from the Sheboygan Brewing Company uh, in my basement fridge. I 
kind of was out of my like normal, just, you know, hey, here's a sixer of Labatt Blue or something just for whatever. So I was, you know, really doing some diving to see what might be back there because I felt like a beer. And I had a like a 16 ounce pint of one. Uh, this is available all year round, which I don't think I knew that. I thought it was more of a summer thing. Drank it on the patio. It was about 30 degrees, poured it into a pint glass. It was pretty cold, uh, like I said, inside and out. And I think that's that's a thing I like to do in winter. It's like maybe you shovel snow, you walk the dog. You've already been outside for an hour. You're wearing a parka. Have a beer outside and just kind of soak in. Yeah. Cool, clear night. And I really enjoy that beer. Really kind of reset the day. That's that's a pretty good one. Um, Sheboygan Brewing Company is right down the road, sort of from our cottage. Yeah. And so sometimes we'll go in there and, and you know get a growler filled. And usually that's the one we go to. I've tried a lot of their beers. A lot of them were eh, but that one is is yeah pretty solid. Um, it's sort of the the one I go to from them. Yeah, I've got a. I think I'm going to make a beer run tonight. Not sure which direction I'm going to go. It's just sort of like a hockey beer, you know, like a Labatt Blue, or maybe I'll get you try a sour or something. Go a little different. We'll see. Take a risk. We'll see. All right, and that's Never all. Go wrong with the sour. <laughs> you can't go wrong with the sour. I tend to think of that as more of a fall beer, but fall or a spring beer, transitional. Yeah. But I don't know. That can be on the beer blog podcast coming up. We'll say. Sounds good. All right, podcast at autoblog.com. Send us your spend my monies. Five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get the show. Uh, please get into the comments. Let us know what you think about cars from 1995, Cybertruck, anything else. Be safe out there. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.